Welcome back to Yang Daily. I'll be your host, Alex Cheney, bringing you all the Yang news you need to live your life right. This one turned into a deep dive and on an unusual subject at that, but as it turns out, one that is not only extremely important to everyone, but shares very close ties to UBI. Let's get to it. Quick shout out to our Tier 3 patrons, Shay Meehan and Nathan Stankowski, as well as all our other patrons. You keep us all informed and engaged. If any of you out there want to join these advocates of humanity first and independent journalism, head on over to patreon.com slash yangdaily. It would only take a couple of bucks a month from each listener to keep this podcast and community going and growing into the future. Now on to the news. Courtesy of a shout-out from Yang, today's big story, a potentially significant solution to a huge problem. Tech billionaires, no, not Yang, are extending their influence into another field, science. Specifically, how science is funded. For the better part of a century, the lion's share of U.S. funding for scientific research has relied on centralized government agencies, particularly the National Institute of Health and the National Science Foundation. While public investment in science is fantastic, these agencies, as with most government programs, do involve a lot of bureaucracy, paperwork, and bias. Voters and lobbyists are picky about how their money is spent. They want assurances it isn't being wasted, which, ironically, leads to a lot of waste. And they want to know they're getting results, which, ironically, can limit effectiveness. Very reminiscent of the counterproductive nature of conditions and targeting in welfare. For example, the average researcher today spends 10 to 40 percent of their time not researching but writing complex grant proposals to get their projects funded. That is a lot of unproductive time spent begging for money and having their incentives distorted by it, very much like our representatives spending half their time calling donors. It doesn't just waste time, it biases scientists toward research that will appeal to peer review boards, which tends to be straightforward research with blindingly obvious purpose, not the sort that most often leads to groundbreaking discoveries. Again, like UBI, how many life-changing discoveries are being lost to coercive profit incentives? A number of billionaire philanthropists have launched projects of their own that are supposedly designed to mitigate these issues. The first could be said to be Patrick Collison, chief executive of Stripe, co-founding a program called Fast Grants during the pandemic, which raised more than $50 million and was quickly distributed to hundreds of COVID-related projects, including a number of effective testing products, and serving as an example of how efficient, differently funded research can be. Minor note, at first glance, I thought Collison was Collision, which would be a sick name to have, though terrible for insurance rates. Back to business, now one of the bigger ventures is ARC Institute, formed in December by Collison, Silvana Konerman, a biochemistry professor at Stanford, and Patrick Sue, a bioengineering professor at UC Berkeley. Funded by more than half a billion dollars from investors, including Collison and the Ethereum billionaire Vitalik Buterin, ARC will give up to 15 scientists plus research assistants eight years of unconditional funding to study complex diseases. ARC also plans to develop new life science technologies, such as gene editing tools for other scientists. It's a model more akin to the great industrial labs of the 20th century, like Bell Labs, 
where the scientists and inventors are given great agency with the expectation that useful discoveries will be made more as a byproduct. Arcadia is another $500 million biotech innovation incubator founded last summer by Simei Cho and Prachi Avasti, backed by former Y Combinator president Sam Altman and the blockchain billionaire Jed McCaleb. They have their own focus. More than 90% of federal science funding is used to study a small number of species, particularly mice and yeast. Needless to say, this leaves out a lot, and again, discoveries are often made where you least expect them. The potentially world-changing gene-editing discovery of CRISPR was discovered while studying unusual bacteria. The capability that ticks have developed to dull our sensory perception with their bite is an unexplored treasure trove for medical tech, eventually even VR, and who knows what else. The list could go on forever. Exploring these understudied species will be Arcadia's focus. Another peculiarity is that Arcadia plans to publish all their research freely to the public, rather than through paywalled journals, and without peer review, part of a movement known as open science. That part will be controversial for sure. Last, we have New Science, a nonprofit led by Alexei Guzzi. That can't be right. They've raised millions from donors such as Vitalik Buterin and Jan Tallinn, co-founder of Skype, and plan to fund young scientists in particular. The average career path of a scientist is to get a bachelor's degree, then a PhD, complete a postdoc or two, hope to join a university as an assistant professor, and then apply for funding from government agencies that will likely not be interested in what you want to research. None of these are short processes, which is why the average age of first-time NIH grant recipients is 42 and rising. Again, sounds like Congress, huh? Scientists under 35 get less than 5% of federal funding. You know where most of the big breakthroughs in science and tech have come from? Scientists under 35. In general, a great many of our most earth-shattering breakthroughs came from young scientists dabbling in relatively unconstrained experimentation and mental exploration. The discovery of a little something called electricity was one such example. Perhaps you've heard of it. Einstein's theory of relativity was another. The mathematics of calculus, a third. It goes on and on. In other words, the type of research that is most important happens to be the type that is least funded. That needs to change, and we need more than these philanthropists working on it. Just as the conditions around welfare limit its effectiveness and efficiency, just as conditions around survival income pervert economic incentives to the detriment of innovation, productivity, and health, the same is happening in science, with conditions on research funding. One might almost think there is an overarching lesson to be learned about the counterproductive nature of placing conditions on funding. Could it be that the most efficient solution is to give everyone basic resources and let them use it freely to pursue their individual curiosities and interests? Accepting that some failures are to be expected and part of progress, and that the successes will far outweigh the duds on the whole? Nah, that's crazy talk. Anyway, this Sunday, January 23rd, is officially Ranked Choice Voting Day. It's because the digits are 1, 2, 3, get it? It's a good time to spread awareness of how RCV works, which is needed as evidenced by the comments on the National Review article I've linked, where two of the three were misconceptions, one confusing voting methods with primaries and generals, and the other thinking it gives people more than one vote. If you're not sure how to explain RCV to people, tell them it's just automated runoff voting. You rank the candidates, and every round, the candidate with the least votes is eliminated, ending when someone gets over 50% of the votes. That's it. 
If we had an ideal voting system, every two candidates would face off against each other to get the most accurate read of voter preferences. We don't do that, among other reasons, because it would make for an enormous ballot. But RCV gets us closer to that with a single election, and it means that voters can honestly express their preferences rather than feeling that their vote is wasted on anyone who is not expected to win. Anyway, Fair Vote has an event going on that day that you can sign up for below. I don't know what exactly the event is, as the registration link doesn't provide any information, nor does Forward's tweet, but the article says it's an RCV celebration with celebrities and movement leaders to welcome all supporters, volunteers, and donors, and you can also find that link below. Also, January 23rd is a meeting for Forward's graphic designers, photographers, and animators, link below. And finally, Yang will be joining bipartisan discussion group Bridge USA on February 3rd for a talk about the current state of politics and bipartisan collaboration, a link below. And that'll do it for today's Yang Daily. Bookmark and share the scientific funding thread and RCV day. Flood Congress with calls, tweets, faxes, and letters using the easy volunteer contacts below. If you need help, consult the Income Movement Aid Database, the Mission Asset Fund, or United Way. And don't forget to Yang Daily.